Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. <laughs> Chuck, I was feeling that one. I love it. I see you feeling Man, it. Turning myself on. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's just sometimes you feel the universe flowing through you. Right on. <laughs> it, well, you know, that's when you're a Jedi. That happens. <laughs> 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 so Chuck, welcome back. It's always good to be here, Neil. Yeah, yeah. So t t tonight we're going to be talking about sex. Okay. And re <laughs> and relationships. Okay. And and dating. I like the first part of that. <laughs> the other two I can do without, but the first part is. Now awesome. I know you. You know you're a man. I know you. You you have some expertise. But it's not the kind of expertise I'm looking for in okay. this. Okay. So we got to bring some extra extra armament in on this conversation. Professor Helen Fisher, welcome to Star Talk. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Yes. It, <laughs> you, you are a specialist. At, what is the academic specialty that describes you? Well, I'm a biological anthropologist. Bi but well, I, that's, yeah. that's ten syllables. Yeah. Biological anthropology. Exactly. Evolution. Evolution of love. Yeah. So uh, we're featuring today my interview with Dan Savage, who that, Dan. is like the online expert on love yeah. and relationships yeah. and everything that go with it. And, you know, of course, we have a changing face of relationships today because right. it used to be, uh, I was thinking it used to be a hangout at a bar, but people still do that. So, right. But the, the Internet has changed all of this yeah. and, and Tinder. Yeah. You know. You yeah. I, actually, these are very old. In fact, we're moving forward to the kinds of relationships we had a million years ago. Really? Yeah. We're actually shedding about 10. Wait, 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 wait. I just mentioned <laughs> Tinder, which operates on a smartphone. And your right. next line is, we've had this since cavemen. Yeah. Well, what, what do you do on Tinder? You look swipe uh, cave walls back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> First, they would draw it and then they would swipe no, it. No, no, no. What they do, they swipe the actual person. <laughs> <laughs> but you, so it's old, it's just a new method, you're saying? Yes, absolutely. Well, that's good to know. And what we found, and, you, and you've been at this for 30 years? Yeah, a little more. A little more than 30 yeah. years. Your job or sex? <laughs> Both. Oh, <yeah. laughs> so, so Dan Savage, I, I, you know, this, this resume is great because he puts his last name in all the names of stuff. Right. So, so he's got a column called Savage Love. Okay. Yeah, you know, how could you not read that, right? And, was, and he's got the, the host of the Savage Love Cast. Yes. You know, you got to say that. The Savage Love Cast. Okay. <laughs> can I, I can, go, go as deep as you can. Love cast. Love cast. <laughs> so Dan is he's like the go-to man for people who are having troubles in their relationships, right. want some advice in modern times. So let, let's look at my interview with Dan Savage and we'll just find out how do you become an expert sex columnist. Let's check it out. It was an accident. It's the kind of job you really can't run out looking for. You can't go to any university and get a degree in advice columning. Uh, I met somebody who was starting a newspaper and I said, oh, you should have an advice column because everybody reads them. You see that Q&A format, you have to read it. Who, who, who was that person? Tim Keck, who was okay. the... Why do I know that name? He was the founder of The Onion. Um, um, yeah. And so at first it was just a joke. I was going to, uh, because I was a gay guy and I was going to write this advice column about straight sex for straight people. 
And the joke was I was going to treat straight people and straight sex with the same contempt and revulsion that straight advice columnists like Ann Landers had always treated gay people and gay sex with. That would be hilarious. It was hilarious, and straight people loved it mm -hmm. because it was a new experience for them to be treated that way. Uh -huh. And I just started getting tons. As the weird one. As yeah. the weird yeah, ones. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I started getting tons of letters with real questions in them, and my fake joke, going to do this for six months or a year advice column, turned into... I've been doing it for 24 years, real advice column. Do you feel qualified? Um, this question is not about whether you're academically qualified, but just whether you're culturally qualified to advise on any combination of these gender permutations, as we would say in mathematics? Well, the only qualification you need to give your advice is some idiot was fool enough to ask you for it. <laughs> Dan Savage. Wow, yeah. that's very cool. Now, did you catch the fact that I was not in shirt and tie in that interview? I was going to say that I really, really I, I like being relaxed to, Neil I stripped that. down to my t-shirt on that one. Yeah. So I can hang with the man. Okay, right on. You're cool. That, that You're was very, very cool. gay of you, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> By the way, let me not just... Not that go, there's anything wrong with that. No, I was right, right. Say, yeah. <laughs> let me go on record and say that that is my fantasy of my gay boyfriend. Oh, is like, that right? Yeah, if I had a gay boyfriend, that would be like, you know what I mean? He's like good looking and smart and, uh -huh. you know what I mean? And he's funny and, you know, like that would be the guy. You're talking here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True confessions, you heard it here. Um, so, of course, relationships and advice columns, it's all, somewhere you part the curtains, there's typically the search for love right. in there. So, you're an academic. Have you been able to define love? Absolutely. Yes, you have. <laughs> I think we've evolved three distinctly different brain systems for mating and reproduction. One is the sex drive. Okay. Second one is feelings of intense romantic love. Mm -hmm. And the third is feelings of deep attachment. And I think all different forms of love are, you know, all kinds of different permutations, you like that word, uh, combinations of, uh, of these three basic brain systems operating in all kinds of ways to... And that allows you to explain a lot of behavior that people exhibit when yeah. falling in and out of love. But what I study is, I, I really study romantic love, the, the second of those three things. And there's a very uh, specific things that happen. The first thing that happens when you fall madly in love is a person takes on what I call special meaning. And then you focus on them. You can list what you don't like about them, but you just sweep that aside and then focus on what you do. Okay, so do you, now I, I, my records show here that you you're like a, a an advisor for Match.com? Is that I'm, right? I'm chief scientific advisor to chief Match. Yeah. Chief scientific <laughs> advisor. Whoa. Yo, that's hot. That's hot. Ch chief scientific advisor. I got to tell you, right now, I just got a little more attracted to you. <laughs> and that works for me. <laughs> hey, get a room. You know. No. So, <laughs> get a room. So, so what's going on in the mind of a one-night stand? Of a one-night stand? Are, are, are they equally yeah. as... The, the problem yeah. with that is, it's not going on in the mind. <laughs> that is the problem. <laughs> First of all, it's... Um, well, you can... Um, all kinds of people... Over one-third of Americans have had a one-night stand. Actually, almost 60% have had a one-night stand. But what's interesting about one-night stands, over 30% turned into a long-term partnership. And that's exactly and there, and there's, how... There's brain circuitry for why. So basically casual sex is not casual unless you're so drunk you don't remember it. It's not casual. It's Things not ca happen in the brain. I had to, I asked, had to ask Dan that because people are yeah. asking him this all the time. And yeah. he, he He's in a long-term marriage right. that began as a one-night stand. A lot of people have. I mean, as I say, over 30% of people have had a one-night stand turn into a long-term relationship. Let's find out what he's, he's going to tell us about one-night stands. I think that happens a lot more often than we know, mm -hmm. because people who meet... Because the one-night stand has such a stigma. Right. People oh who God. have sleazy meetings, 
they don't tell their kids about it. If mm -hmm. your parents met in rehab, if your parents met in a sex club or a dungeon somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, they're not going to... Or the backseat of a 57 yeah, Chevy. They're right. not going to tell you. Okay. Um, I actually wrote a series of columns. This is how long I've been doing my advice column. Uh, while Ann Landers was writing hers, she wrote a column, a bunch of columns, where she invited her readers to share their how they met stories. And there were all these meet cute stories. I danced with this boy at a USO, danced during the war, and then we wrote letters to each other all through the war, and then we met. Ran into a generation who are now full yeah, up with Yeah, but they were all like so innocent. All of her stories. And I was just thinking about the people I knew who were in successful, loving, long-term relationships, many of which had really not innocent starts, who met, who had one-night stands like Terry and I did, who met in rehab, who, you know, had a drunken three-way and then fell in love with the ex, the guest at the three-way, the, 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 the third, the spare. And, the spare. And <laughs> those aren't the stories you're going to tell your grandparents or your kids. No, that never gets out. No. No, no. no. So we happen. have this distorted view of how a decent, loving relationship must start. And then people do this thing. No, I wait, I have to interrupt. You, you made such an important point there. Because if we give the view of love and romance that we want to be true, and that's what percolates, then we establish culture and social mores based on that, so that if anyone is different from it, you get ostracized. Or that's, no, that's, that's tragic, It is actually. tragic, but it's actually not, I think, the most damaging aspect of this sort of cultural belief that no decent relationship can have a sleazy start because people will discount uh, people as potential partners that they had a sleazy uh, meeting with. Mm. They will say, I, you know, I might date this person. This might have been someone I would date, but look at what they did. Like, I couldn't date this person. We had a one-night stand. And no decent relationship can grow from a one-night stand, so I can't date this person. And no, decent relationships grow all the time from one-night stands. Oh, wow. absolutely yeah, they do, yeah. for good biological reasons, too. Yeah. I mean, any stimulation of the genitals drives up the dopamine system, and can you can fall, uh, push you over the threshold into falling in love. And then uh, with um, orgasm, there's a real flood of oxytocin, giving you feelings of deep attachment. So sex is bottom a drug, line is, is what you just said. Uh, say that again? Sex is a drug, is what sex, you just well, said. Sex is a drug, definitely a huge yeah. drug. What people, but it's even, an even bigger drug is romantic love. People don't, you know, you ask somebody to casually go to bed with you, and they say, no, thank you. You don't kill yourself. You know, around the world. Speak for uh, yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. All right. Most crimes and passions aren't over that. Right. I'm sorry for right. you. <laughs> yeah, but what about okay? You okay? You you said something very important that this is a natural biochemical phenomenon going on within us all. Absolutely, it is biology. Yeah. So then, why does the one night stand carry a stigma? That's a really good question. I'll tell you yeah. why. Okay, good. Because part of it is what he said, which was it doesn't make for a great story later on when you're with that person. That's why even mm -hmm. if you did meet and when I stand, you will change the story. You will not say to your children, you know, when I met your mother, that ball gag looked so great in her mouth. <laughs> and the way she used that riding crop was amazing. What the and on top of that, she gave me a discount. <laughs> like that's not going to happen. I can't imagine that's going to be the start of a good relationship. To be perfectly honest with you, you know, I mean, for for thousands of years, marriage was the beginning of a relationship. Now it's the finale. We are really doing what I call fast sex and slow love. So love, we speak speak of it as being uh, something that you you you're implying. All these urges imply that you know much more about the person than some people would claim who would assert that they were in love. For example on first sight. Yeah. 
It's very so, easy to explain love at first sight, actually. It's, so you can explain everything. Well, not everything, but I can do that one. <laughs> <laughs> so when we come back, let's find out more about love at first sight on Starkey. back. Star Talk. Chuck Nice. Hey, hey. Always good Chuck to be on the, uh, in the house. In the house. And we've got Helen Fisher, an expert on sex, because tonight we're talking about sex. And love. And love and relationships. Mm-hmm. And we're featuring my interview with Dan Savage, uh, and he's a uh, author of Savage Love, mm-hmm. the advice column. Only the best column. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious about something. There, some of the most famous love stories yeah. would include, uh, I don't know, uh, Cleopatra and, right. and 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 uh, there's beauty that might attract a man uh, if if it's female beauty uh, heterosexual female beauty we think right. of the beauty of Helen of Troy right and and she launched a thousand ships you know looks do count I mean there's there's breaking points all through a relationship and the very first thing you do is you look at them this is why Tinder is popular that's why Tinder is popular exactly right. love and at first why, sight absolutely is it love at first sight or is it lust at first sight it depends. You know. No, it does. It's lust. <laughs> it is lust. It's both. I mean, it's very often both. I mean, you can trigger the brain circuitry for romantic love, and then everything about a person is sexy from wow. that moment on. Wow. And then you can you can go to bed with somebody and trigger the brain circuitry for romantic love. So, That's so they can so be so very so well connected. She's got the wire yeah. and going going. Yeah, so unless you're so drunk you can't remember it. Of course, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it uh, you know so sex doesn't mean something. I asked Dan Savage, is love at first sight really possible? Because yeah. he's got data from people trying to ask him about it. Let's check it out. Love at first sight is one of those phenomena that. Is, is, is some people believe it's true because uh, well, because it would happen to them. It jibes with their personal experience. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's a logical fallacy because you may have had the exact same initial feelings about somebody else and it didn't work out. And so you don't say love at first sight isn't true because when I felt love at first sight feelings for this person and it didn't work out, it disproved the theory. But I felt it for this person and it worked out, so it proves the theory. It's so they, they they remember the hits and not the misses is what right. that is. And you could be with somebody where you have this like love at first sight feeling, be with them all your life, and you can say, oh, love at first sight is a true thing and it actually happens. But somebody else may have had the exact same feelings for another person who turned out to be a jerk and it didn't work out. You may have had the exact same feelings for somebody before you had your love at first sight experience. Love at first sight, hate at second sight. (laughs) Yeah, love at first sight, hate in divorce court 15 years later. Okay. Yeah, so he's looking at all the data. All not the data. all of the data. Well, no, but he, yeah. if, if you had lovers for sight and you ended up divorced, then it's not really the well, true love that people look for from fairy tales. Ah, true love. That's a different issue. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. But well, the so, bottom line is it's very easy to explain love at first sight. The brain circuitry for romantic love is like the fear system. You can be scared instantly and you can fall in love instantly. Right. And uh, we really want to get to know somebody before we ever tie the knot. And so first things we get in, right in bed with them, you learn a lot between the sheets mm-hmm. about somebody. And then you move into the friends We're with the benefits. We're on the pool table. Yeah. The- <laughs> <laughs> Did I just say I that? imagine that would work. <laughs> Basically, you know, you get him into bed right off the bat, bat, and or on the pool table, whatever, mm-hmm. and then you, then you get, uh, you know, the um, friends with benefits, and yeah. then you live together, and even with the marriage, uh, one third of Americans want to have some sort of uh, prenup agreement. So, you know, but 
because we are marrying so much later and really knowing the person before we do marry them, I think I'm very optimistic about the future that more and more relationships will so these, will retain will remain. So this is the secret to a successful relationship, is what you're suggesting. I don't want to advise people to do it on a pool table well, in well, order well, to have a 15 well, year marriage. No, he <laughs> the part about getting to know each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let, let's, let's find out what Dan Savage, what, what his recipe might be for a successful relationship. Check it out. I think being good to each other, taking care of each other, and not taking each other for granted. Um, and to try to put th keep things in perspective. You know, as a relationship advisor, what I'm constantly noticing is people who are obsessed with the things in their relationships that annoy them. And they can, they can be very articulate and long-winded about their partner's faults or the things that they're dissatisfied with in the relationship and nowhere near as long-winded uh, or articulate about their partner's strengths or what's good about the relationship. I call it paying the price of admission in a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. There are things about your partner, there are edges you're gonna wanna sand off. There are things that as you come together, you're gonna carve a groove in each other so you fit. There's no the one. There's no perfect person for you. There's maybe a .64 and you round that guy up to one or that woman up to one or that some other point along the gender spectrum up to one. Um, you make them the one. That's an act of will that you did for them, and they're doing the same for you. To make that that's happen, an under, that's an under-recognized need in a relationship, because people are saying, "I want the person who I will then never have to change." Or, right? And in practice, no. That doesn't. That person. If doesn't such exist. a person exists, you're not finding them because there's seven billion people in the that, world. That person doesn't exist. Even inside of seven. Billion. E even in seven billion, that person. Even if we get to seven trillion, that person does not exist. Okay. So people, people grind against each other. People annoy each other. So the inter in math, we might call that the 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 intersection function. That mm -hmm. function uh, will, in any healthy relationship, need to be continually adjusted and modified. Right. But my point is, with the price of admission, is you sand off the edges you can sand off so you fit together more comfortably, but then you have to identify those things that no matter how much you bitch and complain about them will never change. And you have to ask yourself, is this person worth paying the price of admission to put up with that? And not put up with it and complain about it and guilt them about it all the time. Put up with it and shut up about it. So you have to weigh the rest of the relationship and say that right. it's worth it. Right. That is a really interesting thing that you said and he said. Because we, there's all kinds of psychological things about making a happy relationship. But we look in the brain at happy relationships and try to see which parts of the brain become active in a really good relationship. And the main part is a brain region which linked with what we call positive illusions. The simple ability to overlook what you don't like about a human being and focus on what you do. And actually that's what he was saying. Because what I wonder is if even if you engage that, yeah. There is the question of whether someone else attracts your attention down the line. Well, because this brings up the question of monogamy. And right. in fact, you know, Dan Savage coined a term, monogamish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing at that. I'm not entirely monogamous. Are you monogamish? More on Dan Savage's definition of monogamish when Star Talk continues. <laughs> This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. We're back. Chuck Nice. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Thank you. <laughs> Helen Fisher. We brought you in as a sex expert because we're featuring my interview with Dan Savage, uh, author of Savage Love. We left off before the break uh, wondering about monogamy. Yeah. Because, Helen, you, you described the, the state of deep love where you ignore the things you might not like, embrace all that you do, and that. Yeah. but how long can you sustain that? How long does it take before someone else comes up and says, hey, I don't have to brush aside as many things. Right. And, and this, this tests one's monogamy. Right. And I ask this because when you comb the animal kingdom, right. monogamy is not as co- common as no. we would wish it were. Right. And if that's the case, what is the requirement that we expected of ourselves? We've evolved what I call a dual human reproductive strategy, a tremendous drive to fall in love, pair up, rear our children as a team, and also a tendency to be adulterous. And you find it in every single culture, let's, adultery. Let's find out what Dan Savage says about yeah. this word, monogamish. Monogamish. Check it out. What we know about uh, primates and mammals, uh, we are not a naturally monogamous species. We are a pair bonding species. But there's social monogamy, which is the pair bond, and there's sexual monogamy, which is never touching anybody ever again with your genitals. And we are not. We've never split that before. No, we need to split it. We all of these birds we used to look to and think, why can't we be monogamous like birds? Like the eagles and the yeah, certain mm-hmm. geese and little birds that would mate, and they would mate for life, and would and we would measure our failure as humans to live up to the standards set by these damn birds. Well, along comes genetic testing and we find out that these birds are screwing around on each other constantly. That they are socially monogamous, parabonded, but they're not sexually monogamous. No primates with testicles our size are are monogamous, sexually monogamous. Uh, women, um, hidden menses. I'm not saying all this to say that people shouldn't uh, go for monogamy if monogamy is something that they want. I'm not saying this to argue that people who made a monogamous commitment have license to violate that monogamous right. commitment. And of course, that's what headlines would do when they hear a phrase that comes right. out of your mouth. Right. And they do that. Right. What I'm saying is, uh, we are not naturally monogamous. It is a difficult struggle for us. Chris Ryan, a uh, sex writer, uh, in his book, Sex at Dawn, 
It's great. You just know all these sex writers. Well, I do. I read them all. <laughs> he points out that you know all these cultures, you know, the, the sky religions, death penalty for adultery. While at the same time we run around arguing that monogamy comes naturally to us as a species. Well, no other species has to be threatened with death to do that, which comes naturally to it. We don't point guns at dolphins and say swim, right? But we point guns at each other and say don't cheat, because monogamy comes naturally to us. And so I'm not. My argument then isn't. You shouldn't have it. You shouldn't do it. My argument is we should be a little compassionate, understanding about the fact that monogamy is a struggle. That a monogamous, we, we said what we believe, what we're told as children is one day you will grow up and fall in love with someone, and you will make a monogamous commitment to them, and that means you're in love with them. And when you're in love, you won't want to have sex with other people. And the truth is, if you make a monogamous commitment to someone you love, you will still want to have sex with other people. You will refrain from it. It will be difficult. And so perhaps we need to look at people who've been in 50-year marriages and only cheated on each other once or twice, and say they were good at monogamy, not bad at it, good at it, and give them some credit for having done this thing that was difficult and unnatural, as a token of their love and affection and commitment, almost completely successfully. It's like once somebody standing on one foot for 50 years. That's kind of amazing. If they touched the ground two or three times to get their balance, we wouldn't go. They sucked at standing on their foot for 50 years on one foot. So what should happen going forward?、Uh, monogamish relationships. Ish, monogamish. <laughs> There it's, it is. It's hard to do though. Well, you know, so he's talking about splitting, splitting、yeah. your love from your genitals. Is that? Is、right. that? Wow, that sounds painful.、Well. <laughs> <clears throat> Wouldn't have that just sounds painful. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. You know, there's, there's one exercise in the effort to split one's love from their genitals.、Uh, genitals. <laughs> genitals. Isn't there a?、Um, I forgot what they call it. In some marriage contracts, there's like a there's a、oh, yeah. an exclusionary clause. Yeah. In case the one love of their life, usually a movie、right. star or someone, happens to walk a in and say, "Hall pass." A hall pass. pass. You got、right. a hall pass. A hall pass.、Yeah. If the love of your life just walks in the door and says, "Let's、yeah. do it." Right. And、uh, isn't that a manifestation of this? We've got to be well, honest. Well, all kinds、ourselves? of people. You know, the whole thing now is polyamory. The people will form a pair bond and you know have a marriage and and agree to have lovers on the side or agree to have sex on the side. But it regularly doesn't work. We're a jealous animal. Yes. We do not share. In fact,、uh, I was once、um, I was traveling in New Guinea in the Highlands and I met a man who had three wives, and I asked him how many wives he'd like to have, and I thought he was going to say, was he going to say five? Was he going to say ten? Was he going to say twenty five? None. He said none. <laughs> I know because it's too hard. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's hard to share, you know, and、uh, we're not really built for that. So we are seems, built for both. So what you're、though. saying is, even if people put a hall pass clause in their marriage contract,、yeah. they don't really mean it with each other. I think they mean it. They mean it cognitively, but emotionally, it's very difficult to do. Let's find out what Dan Savage says about hall passes. I think that's a good thing,、mm -hmm. um, for two reasons. A, I think the partners who agree to it. They're pretty sure it'll never happen. That's why they.、Agree. That's one of the reasons I think it might be good for people who want to be monogamous. But they're also acknowledging and having that conversation that it's okay for each other to find others attractive.、Um, people waste. Interesting point. It's an explicit acknowledgement of that you desire. You're not going to lie to yourself, right? And people in relationships will waste a lot of time and energy. Policing each other for evidence of what they already know to be true. Of course, your husband wants to sleep with other people. Of course, your wife is attracted to her Pilates instructor.、Um, you know, and you should be okay with that. But you hear all the time, "You looked at that woman. You must want to have sex with her." Or you looked at that guy.、Uh, it's like, yeah, of course. 
that means I'm not, en I get this letter all the time. It, it made me feel like I'm not enough for him. And I write these people back and I say, you're not. Well, uh, now here, here's an interesting point. Mm -hmm. uh, lately, recent decades perhaps, uh, we've been a little more candid with ourselves about where you are on this sexual spectrum. How does that play out? in mm -hmm. the discussions of love and... Exactly the same. In the Singles in America studies, um, the gays and lesbians were exactly like the streets. They fell in love the same amount of times. They were equally eager to remarry the person that they're married to now. Uh, they have the same number of home-cooked meals. They're very similar. And when you look in the brain, it's exactly the same brain system. It, you know, uh, homosexuality is who you are in love with, but I study how you feel when you're in love, and it's exactly the same in the gay And how you feel world. when you love it, there's no, there's no, there's no difference. Seems to be no difference in the brain, no difference in behavior. When we come back, more on this gender identity and how it manifests within the brain. Let's start. This is Star Talk. Tonight we're talking about sex, gender, relationships, love, all of the above. And uh, Helen, you wrote a book, The First Sex. Yeah. We're trying to identify the fundamental differences between men and women, biological, yeah. neurological right. differences, I guess. And yeah. what, what have you found? Well, I mean, men and, and these women. are men, genetic men and genetic women. Right. Not people who want to express themselves right. as one or the other. Well, we're all, you know, wide variations of both sexes, but the, what we, in we terms do of have, expression. Yeah, in terms yeah, of expression and in terms of the brain, the way brain physiology, et cetera. I think men and women are like two feet. They need each other to get ahead. But for millions of years, they did different jobs, and that built really some differences in the male and the female brain. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, and how do you know? You, how, how do you know what's going on in the brain? We put people in brain scanners. And, oh, uh, <laughs> well, there that's you go. romantic. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of other people do too. As a matter of fact, oh, you're telling me you put electrodes on somebody's somebody's head, on two people's head, and say, "Tell each other that you love one another." How does? Mm. It, do you really okay, we, solicit this in the laboratory? Absolutely. Well, we put people in a brain scanner, and you can only get one person in a brain scanner. It's a tiny so, little so, hole. Okay. Um, so and, like an MRI. Uh, it's an MRI, okay. yes, and we show them a photograph of their sweetheart, and we, I get them to think about uh, love, not sex, and we study the brain circuitry of romantic love and feelings of attachment, and even the sex drive will come up, too. And you yeah. got men to agree to do this? Well, one guy wanted to look at Angelina Jolie, so that wasn't too hard. <laughs> and in fact, Angelina Jolie made less activity in his brain than looking at his own wife, because with Angelina Jolie, all you have is a fantasy. With your wife, you've got the smells that taste, the good sense of the jokes, etc. And so much, so much more. But I thought it was rather courageous. He had no problem getting laid after that. <laughs> no, we did him a service, yeah. So I chatted with Dan Savage about just men versus women, you know, this uh -huh. thing. And let's get his take on this. Check it out. One of the things I think makes a difference between male and female is testosterone. Mm -hmm. And there's been some really interesting... Hormonal... Yeah, really interesting manifest. stuff written by people who were born into, you know, coercively assigned female at birth, people who were born into women's bodies who were men who then transitioned to male and took testosterone, and they have written about how their sexual thoughts, fantasies, everything radically changed after testosterone. A colleague of mine just tra transitioned, mm. male to female, mm. and we already know how to communicate with one another because we're colleagues. We're scientists. We contemplate the universe daily. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to already know how to communicate with him becoming a her, and then have her now tell me changes within her. And she was saying she had 
completely different ensembles of thoughts in response to things that she knew intellectually she would have responded to differently as a man. Mm -hmm. To the point where she said, this is a phrase I'll never forget, she began to question free will. If, oh, God. This was, <laughs> this was, oh, it was like, wow. The, the things guys do in society, where most of the criminals right. are guys, right? And so why isn't that equal? And he's telling me there are things he wanted to do but had no urge to do it. Okay. Sex is 500 million years old. We are 200,000 years old. Sex built us. Yes, sex. We, we inherited it. One of the lies we tell kids is you're going to grow up one day and have sex. No, no, no. You're going to grow up one day and sex is going to have you. So, wow. yeah, so what, you do transgender studies within your brain, your brain Yes, um, just like you with your friend. Um, it, there's all these wonderful stories about how when people transition from one sex to the next, um, when a woman goes into being a man, she becomes more visual, she has a harder time, he finds, now has a harder time finding the right word. Um, there really are, these hormones are really are evolved millions of years ago to get us operated in a certain way so that we can survive. And there's no question about it, if you inject some of them, you're you're going to change. You're going to change your behavior. Well, tell me about yeah. ro romance because there's a there's this, this stereotype that you know women want the flowers or whatever is that stereotype. Yeah. Are women more romantic? Oh, no. yeah, yeah, who's more romantic? Men are more romantic. There's a great deal of studies of uh, of this, and and we have in in my singles in America. Uh, studies with Match.com, we've proven it. They fall in love faster uh, because they're so visual. They fall in love more regularly. Uh, they want more public displays of affection. I think it's called mate guarding in, in that science. That makes sense, yeah. <laughs> and men are more interested in fetishes than women. We will get back yeah. to that after this break on Star Talk. <laughs> Star Talk is back. Talking about dating, relationships. Got my interview with Dan Savage in San Francisco. Helen Fisher, yes. expert on this sort of thing. Chuck is an expert too, but there's no degrees to demonstrate that fact. <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't stopped him so from weighing in on everything you've said. Um, is, can love be swapped with a fantasy and no love can equal that and so you lead a depressed life for having never equaled wow, these desires? That's great. I, I, I would imagine so. I don't know. I've never studied it. But uh, Are romantic uh, comedies these unreachable ways that women want men to behave? Yeah, you should put women in an MRI while they're watching when <laughs> Harry met Sally. <laughs> I would, I would the, the whole thing would light up. <laughs> right, I got to ask, you said before the break that men are more romantic than women. It yeah. seems then to me yeah. that men would be flocking to romantic comedies. Mm -hmm. And they don't. No, men would be to flocking to romance novels. Yeah. And they don't. No, they don't. They, uh, but romance novels are about romantic love. They're not about sex. It's Fifty Shades of Grey is about sex, and women are flocking to that. And men aren't flocking to them. They're flocking to more visual porn, because men are more visual than women. For millions of years, men had to hit that buffalo in the head with a rock. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line is you've got to have very good visual skills. And, and men are going much more for visual pornography than women do. Okay, that's how you account for that. That's how you account for that. So uh, what about fetishes? I think the data show that men are much more yeah. fetish prone. Yeah. I think the bottom line is women are the custodian of the egg. And so it's men who in every society, you know, they do much more of the um, 
Exploratory uh, maybe, sex. Yeah. You know, if a man can get a sexual opportunity and pass his DNA on to tomorrow, he will win. And so men will remember those little moments in which he won, and it'll turn into a fetish. Let's find out what Dan Savage has to say about it. Humans are infinitely perverse, and, and the way our imaginations can snap onto anything, and nobody quite understands why. Um, there are some theories that it has to do with the same capacity of our complicated, crazy brains that uh, allows for abstract thought and human speech also has wired into it this, like, snatching stuff randomly out of your life and out of experience and eroticizing it. The people who are aroused by swim caps and pies and balloons, right? Like, where did that come from? Well, it's some sort of abstract reach around erotically. You make an important point that I want to emphasize, that we have certain talents and profiles that are distinctly human, but that that is not just the one expression of that talent. No. There's a portfolio of forces that come together for that, and how else do those port the elements of that portfolio manifest? And if perversion, or what's been labeled perversion, is linked to those qualities and those things, maybe we should celebrate it instead of stigmatizing it. If it comes bundled together, abstract thought, uh, the capacity for speech, with this uh, propensity towards eroticizing things that don't seem erotic to other people, we should celebrate those d diverse sexual interests rather than stigmatize them. So Helen, what, what, do you, what does your study say about perversion? Well, I mean, I... Uh I, I don't actually study perversions. I study normal people who are madly in love or feeling deeply attached. So perverse but, uh, people are not normal. No, no, I, 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 I ask that quite yeah. seriously. I mean, I would imagine what is that normal, is, as long as you keep your mouth shut and don't go, you know, singing it in the streets and keep it in the bedroom, I can't imagine that it would be perverse. Isn't it true? As long that, as everybody is eager to play. But isn't it true that psychology dictionaries yeah. used to have a whole oh, portfolio absolutely. of absolutely. human states of mind and condition a that were considered absolutely. abnormal? Uh, and, even and so homosexuality an, was considered abnormal until recently. So this is an evolving you know? definition. Right. You know, we are a sex negative society. We have long equated sex with sin. All of Asia... We, we in the West. In, in the, the yeah, West. Yeah, I mean, uh -huh. in, the, in Asia, they don't link sex with God. You know, sex is part of the normal uh, flow of life. Biology. And, uh, yes, biology. Well, it's a lot of things, but, but certainly biology. But, um, yeah, I, I think all of these things are going to, just like he's moving the, the, the discussion forward, and I think as we shed 10,000 years of our agrarian tradition, where you had to marry the right girl from the right background, the right kin connection, hopefully from a bigger farm next door, we're now turning inwards to, uh, to find somebody who we want, and we're beginning to... Rather you know, than who lose, your parents want. Yeah, yes, yes. And, 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 and we're beginning to, to build the kind of relationships that we have, as long as we keep it in our own home. I think that a lot of these stigmas will disappear. You know what I want to talk about more? I want to talk more about Tinder. Tinder? Mm -hmm. And you know what else? I want to find out what Bill Nye, the science guy, has to say about all this sex stuff. Bill Nye's on Tinder? <laughs> did, I, I, did I say that? Chuck, just because they're two parts of a sentence doesn't mean one is the other. So We're going to find out all about that when Star Talk continues. Star Talk. Dating, sex, and relationships, the science of. Don't you want to know what Bill Nye, the science guy, thinks of sex? Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Let's find out what my good friend Bill Nye has to say about sex. When it comes to sex, we're all animals. Sex is how you pass your genes into the future. It's evolution's way of providing innovation, new traits, new colors, new shapes. 
For most animals, they have sex during a single season, a single time of year. It's just something you got to get done if you're a living thing on Earth. It's business. But when it comes to humans, we want to have sex all the time. Procreation, schmocreation. Apparently, the same evolutionary processes that gave us this big brain allowed us to predict the future and see what a burdensome situation sex can put you in. So along with that, evolutionary processes created this super hard drive to have sex. Anytime, anywhere. Actually, there's a great deal of evidence now that all kinds of different animals get pleasure from having sex. Now, why would that be? Well, evolution is what determines our size and shape, how tall we are, our hair color, and so on. Well, apparently it also determines what we feel, our emotions. So by getting pleasure out of sex, we are driven to have sex and pass our genes on. I mean, check this guy out. There's something going on in this boy panda's mind. When he looks at the girl panda, he's thinking, Viva la difference, or uh, long live the difference. In fact, that's the essence of this. Without sex, your genes wouldn't live long at all. <laughs> you know, all this talk about sex is making me hungry. Wait, that's not what I meant. All this talk about sex is making me horny. <laughs> Give it up for Bill. <laughs> so tell me about sex drive. About the sex drive? Yeah, because that's not love drive, that's no. sex drive. Well, it's, it's primitive, it's ancient, uh -huh. it's primordial, and we all carry it around in our heads and do it regularly. But I do think that animals actually love as well as, uh, that, you know, no, no animal will copulate with anybody. Um, too old, too young, too scruffy, too scrubbed, wrong color, wrong shape, wrong size, they won't do it. Um, and no, so no, Helen, let's be honest here. Yeah. No female will do it. <laughs> and you know that's the truth. In the animal Could kingdom, be. the male will do anybody. The female, I think he's right. The Look. female is the one who makes the decision. Well, a male dog humps a tree stump. So clearly, it does not matter to the dog. When a female in heat is not pretty, is not too picky either, you know? Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. big time. Okay. Uh, yes, so. I have yet to meet one yeah. of those. <laughs> so sex is online now. I guess that, that was inevitable. And Tinder, what's that about? Well, first of all, it, it, it actually works. Tinder actually works pretty well because the first thing you have to do anyway is look at a person and they'll say a lot about a person when you take a look at them. Yeah, yeah. And then you gotta go meet them. The bottom line is these are not dating sites, they're introducing sites. And when you get into the bar or into the coffee house or whatever and you sit down, the ancient human brain works the way it always has and you court the way you did a million years ago. So I've been married 28 years, which means I have no idea how these dating sites work. I have no idea what Tinder is, how it works, what it is. So I got Dan Savage to explain it to me. Check it out. So you submit a photo, as I understand it, and you say what you're looking for, uh, age, range, and this mm -hmm. sort of thing. And then you, there's a photo of that person, and you either say yes or no. Swipe left or swipe right. Yeah, okay. And if you're left-right dyslexic, that could be a problem. And okay. if you swipe them in the right direction and they swipe you in the right direction, the app hooks you up. The app introduces you. I'm betting that the, create the inventors of the Global Positioning Satellite Network. Never anticipated this. Never anticipated that there would be an app that localizes you on the surface of the Earth to find someone else you're going to have sex with in a few hours. 
This is an extraordinary application. <laughs> of, but that's what humans always an, an do. An extraordinary with application of tax money. Because what humans always do with new GPS technologies. is a military project by, by the Air Force. We always do that with new technologies. The, 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 the first use, the first adaptation of a new technology will be to the service of our sex lives and our romantic lives. And whatever it is, like the phone was considered this socially destabilizing, revolutionary, subversive, uh, creep thing because a young man could call your daughter in your house. Mm. Um, the car, people freaked out about the car because a young couple could go be alone. Uh, that was a big thing, the car. It was bigger than um, even contraceptive pills. In the 1940s, the car, it was a mobile bedroom. and uh, really Back when cars were large enough to be a mobile yeah, bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like, you know, a contortionist. Yeah, exactly. Not that I would know. Not, doing that, not doing that in a smart car. <laughs> so, right, the, the no-sex car is what, the, what, what, what that is. So, so do you embrace the role of technology now in the role of dating? Absolutely. Um, you know, we've got this long Says the woman age. who is the advisor to Match.com. <laughs> <laughs> yes. okay. No, uh, you know, um, we no longer have parents who can uh, fix us up. Uh, by middle age, you you know, you've gone through people who your girlfriends could uh, introduce you to. You, you've met everybody you want, might have wanted to meet at work, and it's cheap, it's easy, and it's safe. So why wouldn't we want to do it all through our lives? It's just right? a little weird to see somebody swiping their thumb right. on the Tinder screen. Right. But just, you know, and I'm told there's know, a condition called Tinder thumb. Oh, really? You, you get tinderitis. <laughs> oh, I thought that was from doing something else. <laughs> but you know what? Romantic love is like a sleeping cat. It can be awakened at any moment. And that person who's just out for sex on Tinder or wherever, and I don't think they're all out for just sex, they meet the person that triggers the brain Says circuitry the woman. for romantic love, and they're off to the races on something even more powerful than sex. That's a very interesting point. So are you saying that there is uh, very little academics when it comes to love? In other words, love makes you stupid. <laughs> Love does make you stupid. Love makes you yeah. stupid. Okay. As a matter of fact, whole brain regions begin to shut down. Shut down. It yeah. makes you stupid. That's what it is. <laughs> we, we, there's no place else we can take this conversation <laughs> but from there. Chuck Nice, thanks for being on Star Talk. Always. Uh, as always. And Helen Fisher. Hey. If sex comes up again, we're going to find you. That's, I'm not hard to find. We're going to put you right back in this seat. Thank you very much. All right, everyone, <laughs> you've been watching Star Talk. I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. As always, I bid you to keep looking up.